Welcome to the realm of magic and mystery, classic horror and sci-fi. You are now entering the House of the Unusual podcast with your hosts, Eddie and Joe. Welcome all you cool ghouls and friendly fiends. It is the House of the Unusual podcast. I'm your host, Joe Pavlansky, and with me as always is the maestro of mail-order mysteries, Eddie Guevara. Hello there. Today joining us, we have the karate guy himself, Jason Blakely. What's up, Jason? Hey, not much. Glad All to be right, here. All right, man. Well, welcome, everybody, and everybody out there in podcast land. Thank you for joining us once again on this road to Christmas. We are recording this Tuesday, December 13th. So we are inching closer to uh, that all all awesome day when we just we wait for Santa to join us to bring us presents, uh, hopefully some mail order mystery stuff and some comic books and other goodies under the tree. But, you know, if, if you can't wait till then, I suggest head over to mymoviemonsters.com because we got scary monsters. We got Castle of Frankenstein and we got tons of other Back issues for horror magazines, science fiction magazines, fantasy magazines, all that good sh- all that good stuff. But Scary Monsters number 129, The Underground Worlds, is now shipping. It is the Creatures, Caverns, and Underground Worlds issues. So make sure you check that out. You could buy it on there. It should be at your local bookstore by now. Uh, there's also the new Castle of Frankenstein will be out at your local bookstore, so make sure you pick that up as well. All right, gentlemen, what is new out there? I'm going to turn it over to uh, Eddie and see what's new at the House of the Unusual Proper. So, Mr. Guevara, what's new? What's going on? Well, I basically, uh, I've been actually getting together some stuff. and I've been, every week I've been trying to put up uh, review videos this week, um, I had to stop due to the fact that I was getting a couple of stuff out of there. But one of the things that I have that's coming that's going to be really exciting is somebody issued me uh, one, two, three boxes of baseball cards. I still have not opened them. I don't know what's in them. They're from the 1960s and 70s, supposedly, I was told. Um, it could be a fortune. It could be the Mickey Mantle everybody wanted. Or oh, the Hogness Wagner that nobody ever had. Uh, it's all up to, you know, until the day I open it. I'm here. I'm going to do that on camera. Also, I got a gift box from um, my friend um, Chuck that sent me something. And I don't know what he actually sent me there. But he said, I got something he saw and he wanted to get from me. So uh, I got to take care of that as well. Um but anyway, other than that, there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, um, everything's going as prior, you know, always as, as planned. Uh, the channel is is continuing to grow. It's got a couple more subscribers. And, of course, Chuck's videos are kicking butt, and I'm trying to keep up with Chuck, and apparently he's doing a lot better. But, you know, that's Chuck, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, I told him to be careful, though, because he was going to some tough neighborhoods doing a lot of magic shows lately. And I said, you don't, you wouldn't want to hear that a magician gets hit overhead and someone steals his rabbit, you know? Uh, so <laughs> magician knocked unconscious, rabbit, rabbit stole. <laughs> yeah, we definitely yeah. want Chuck to be careful out there. Exactly, you, exactly. You know, he's, we aren't, uh, what's that old song by Toby Keith? Not as good as once was but i'm good once as i ever was you know sometimes yeah, exactly. that's, that's the key <laughs> hey joe one thing i wanted to mention you mentioned about some of the movies and stuff and and you know we were talking earlier before actually before the podcast uh there was a movie and now that you said with the castle of frankenstein coming out do you remember the movie i don't know if it was called the strongest man in the world or something that it was this guy looked like hercules and it was an underworld that they could only come out. It wasn't called Hercules. I know it was not a Hercules uh, movie. It was something like Hercules. And they would go and fight this underworld people. And they couldn't see the sunlight. Does that bring a bell to you? No, not at all. How about you, Jason? No, I don't think so. I guess everything with me is a mystery, including <laughs> things they can't find. Oh, my I'm God. I'm telling you, man. Everything is a mystery. You give us bits and pieces of it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm it's like you're, to... like trying to, you're, you're trying to give us a... um. 
you know, some kind of food dish, but you're only giving us one or two ingredients and then saying, now nah, you know what food it is, right? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, the game that Chuck actually told me about two weeks ago, Eddie, you sure wasn't something you dreamed. And I said, listen, the game I was after was called Skittle something. But I said it was Skittle shootout. And the game had a moving target and had Maxwell's mark. Well, guess what? I was able to get an unopened copy. First time I think it's ever been listed. And I was able to get it. So I'm dying for it to get here. And I can take some photographs and post them at the forum. Mm -hmm. You can do an unboxing. Jeez. Yep, definitely. Well, I've never been open. I'm debating about whether opening it or not, though. <laughs> don't, 50, don't open it, man. Don't open it. 50 years later. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah you're right. 50 is from 1974. Wow. Uh, but it does have Maxwell's Martin. For some reason, all the people that love Aurora, and this is amazing to say this, but I think this game escape the radar because not only has Todd Mitchin, the great sea monkey master has helped me for hours on the phone searching for it. My brother in Florida has done the same. I think Chuck was doing it at one time too. And there's no reference to this Aurora legend, which is really bizarre because even in mm -hmm. books that have come out of Aurora, there's about two or three that I have purchased in the last couple of years. It doesn't show any mention of the game or even a photograph. And finally, one showed up to prove that it was real. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead, guys. Very cool, man. So, Jason, what's what's new with you, man? I, I see you posted some uh, pretty cool uh, uh, karate pamphlets of the, the insides on, online today. So, uh, have you have you added to your collection, or is that some uh, something from no? You know, I, I, yeah, I had that. I have I've had that one for a while, but I've been getting into doing some scanning because they're getting kind of yellow and brittle. Over over the years, so I don't. Once I take them out of their uh, out of their frames, they're a little delicate. So I want to make sure they don't go away. So I've been scanning in some of the smaller smaller uh, booklets. Oh, nice. Now, were those done on pulp paper or regular? They were about as cheap as you could get. <laughs> I, I have to I have to back them when I scan them because the paper is so thin that uh, the other side comes through on the scan. Oh wow. Yeah, you got to, um, you know, Jace, if, if you really want to preserve them, my suggestion to you is just do backup copies of all of them. Mm -hmm. And if I, I know you might have them in frames, but a lot of people don't realize, and, and Joe is an expert on this. In fact, I was hoping Joe one day would do a total show on how to preserve comics and stuff because he knows. But if you ever go to a flea market and you're outside and you notice that something like comic books are inside the plastic mm -hmm. and, and they're like under the sun, they create moisture inside. So if you have them in, in your house and it's cold or maybe the air is moisture, mm -hmm. you know, it might actually hurt inside of a frame, those pamphlets. I know that uh, Dr. Fob does that. And I was going to tell him, you know, give him a warning. Be careful. They don't go bad on you. Yeah, yeah I keep mine out of the, they're definitely out of the sun, but, um, and I don't see any, any indication of humidity in there. So they, they seem to be doing Yeah, well. that's good. That's always you know, any kind of humidity or liquid with mm -hmm. that, that paper is just very detrimental oh. to it. Yeah. Joe, what is your take on about putting them on frames? Is that a good idea or not? I mean, you know better than me. Well, yeah. I mean, if they're still, they're still secure. I mean, it's just making sure that the moisture in the air is, you know, regulated so that there's not too much or, or too less. But I mean, that's a, that's a whole topic. And there's a lot even online that you could look to uh, do that. But I know a lot of people, put comic books and frames and mm -hmm. and all that and you just have to make sure you know they're not getting damaged in the frames and that they're they're secure that's pretty much it but um so have you gotten anything else uh new recently jason uh, i've i've ordered a couple actually there was a, i ran across some leong fu books which i don't think were so i don't know if they were sold in north america they seem to be mostly in europe and the uk but maybe in North America, but it's crazy stuff in there. I think he, maybe there was a a subset of it sold in the U.S. called Atado. I think, Eddie, you ran across that? Yeah, I, I actually did a long, long time ago, but um, one thing, you know, it's kind of like when you said in Europe, Europe did have, I guess, a little bit of mail order. There was a famous um, novelty company, um, Ellison, I think it's called. Oh, Ellison, yeah. Yeah. And some people, you know, are aware of that. I got aware of it later on in life. I never heard of it as a kid, but I, 
I do know that a lot of people have said to me in the past that one of the things they regret is they didn't live in America with all the fun yeah. stuff. So I'm, I'm assuming that mail order was not too popular in Europe. I mean, I don't know. How about oh. you? Oh, Eddie, um, you just reminded me, I, I'd heard of Ellison because I watched this guy on YouTube called Tim. And he is like the UK version of you in that he's kept <laughs> everything from his childhood and he's grown a massive toy collection and a novelty collection. And he used to order from Ellison's all the time. And he does videos every week where he'll showcase a bunch of, of toys from his collection. He'll open a, a suitcase. He keeps everything in suitcases. And he'll open a suitcase and have, here's a bunch of maze puzzles I've collected over the years. Or here's a bunch of squeaky toys I've got over the years. Yeah, he. Uh, I'm aware of him. I, oh, I love okay. him. He's really good. He's, yeah, he's awesome. Him. What's his name again? I, I keep forgetting. I know Tim. Tim. Yeah, yeah, Tim something. And then and the name of the show is Illusions. Grand Illusions. Yeah. Grand Illusions. That's right. I don't watch him like 100% of the time, but no. he's got, he's very, you're right. He's kind of an older uh, version of me in Europe. You're right. Uh -huh. <laughs> wow. Is That's that awesome. how I'm going to, is that how I'm going to look, Joe, when I lose all my hair? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he, he actually said the other day or something, he was like 83, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's yeah, I think a, I did. I think you sent me a few of his videos one time. He does have some really cool, uh, cool toys and all that. Some some monster toys. But you know, speaking of toys and all that, we are getting ready for Christmas. Are you guys? Is everybody out there ready for for that holiday season, or is it kind of like eh, just another day? You know, Joe, I just acquired for a gift for myself. The first thing, obviously, was the Skittle Shootout game by Aurora. But I did. You're, you're like pre. You're like pre gaming it then for for Christmas. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, I kind of am. But one thing I came across is they made uh, Jack Davis. There's some type of company out there. Uh, there's a company out there. I, I'm not too sure exactly what the name of the company is, but they they came out with the Jack Davis action figure, and they also came out with the Tin Can Man from the Monsters. And a lot of the characters, I forgot the name of the company though, but I did purchase the two of them. I'm very excited with the Tin Can Man. I oh. got him yesterday. Eddie, you mentioned Jack Davis, and earlier you mentioned uh, cards from the 60s. And yeah. the universe is telling me I have to tell you the story about the, uh, about the art I found when we were doing a used book sale in town uh, for charity. And I came across this collection of small posters from a series of crazy people from that was sold from by tops in the 1960s and it was art by jack davis and they were in the garbage pile but i ended up selling them to some guy on ebay for 300 plus dollars so the, if, if you run into any crazy people uh poster cards they're they're worth a bit of money jack davis uh what blew my mind away with jack davis was one day when i started reproducing the um six foot famous monsters uh jack davis frankenstein which as a kid i thought it was goofy looking so i never really mm -hmm. liked it and one day it was kind of bizarre i started reproducing it and i you know i only had one done right so for some reason when i you know i, I printed it came out a little slight blurry and the reason is because my original would came folded uh, most of them at that time uh were sent in tubes but my unfortunately came in a had it just must have kept it in a moist place and it had like when you opened it up it looked like the character was behind bars oh. so my son starts doing a photoshop at the time on it and he clears it up but i didn't realize it was a little not pixelated but blurry so i print the one monster and i put it on ebay but i don't know what made me possess me to put 36 of them i figure hey you know <laughs> This is way back. This is back in the early 2000s, right? So I put it on and I put it, I think it was uh, $59.99. Or, or I don't remember, it was $49.99. But the whole thing, my son tells me in the morning, I put him on at 4 o'clock in the morning. And then he tells me like around 10, 11 in the morning when I was up. He's like, oh, daddy, you sold one of the things. And I go, oh, I did. Wow. And he said, no, you sold out. I go, what do you mean I sold out? <laughs> So I went nuts. And and then the stupidity thing that I did is I put 12 more and they sold out like in wow. the next two hours. I spent literally like two weeks trying to 
you know, get trying to catch up on. Well, not only catch up, it's just nobody would print them because the problem only Staples was doing it. Office Depot, and they would run out of paper. I know the manager one time said, hey, listen, I can't do no more for you. And it was bizarre, man. And then I sent them out hoping that nobody would complain, you know. <laughs> that was insane, man. I'll never do that again. <laughs> yeah, Jack Davis has a lot of fans out there. It, it, yeah, it is bizarre how much uh, fans Jack Davis has. You're right. Uh, but anyway, the point is that that was the best-selling poster I ever had. But, of course, I did do a 100% copy later. That was from a perfect, uh, you know, one. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, I still have it uh, on eBay there. People still get it. They sell once in a while, not like before. Before, they was like every month you sold two or three, you know. Now, it's it stales down to like every six months. You get maybe one or two sold, you know. You've saturated the market. I think so. <laughs> but, Joe, did you get your own, Joe? Did you get your copy of Jack Davis Frankenstein? No, I did not. Joe, so send me one. <laughs> what happened, Joe? Drop the ball, man. I was dropping the ball. Yeah. yeah, what are you gonna do, man? But, but you know that that's the whole thing. When you're talking about a lot of the mail order stuff and stuff, um, I I could tell you that a lot of those posters that you're talking about, especially the ones you come across used bookstores, they could be very interesting in what you come across and not even know you have. A lot of people don't realize that even this movie, and we were like Joe again, we, we're going to be talking about some movies in a few minutes. Um, ha, ha, Fast Times at Richmond High. If you come across the paperback, which I bought in a flea market for like $2 or something like that, I sold one last year for $270 something. Yeah, that book is very, very expensive. If you look it up on eBay, it's listing for anywhere from seven to $800. And it's just a paperback. It's a six dollar ninety five cents paperback or something like that. I, I, I just paid. I just paid uh, a bit around that for a, a sixteen dollar booklet. But it's a, a sixteen dollar booklet. <laughs> a sixteen page booklet. Sorry. Oh, a karate, karate booklet. Yeah, I finally tracked down a copy of Yubi Waza, and uh, I've only ever seen a couple of copies for sale, so I didn't want to let it get away, but. Wow, I think most of my uh, purchases put together. You know what? If you're gonna complete it, you, one good thing about collecting, uh, you know, karate books and stuff is there weren't really that many. You could no. probably say about twenty at the most between yep. all the different companies. So even if you spend so much money, it's a small collection. It's it's doable. I mean, Joe spent one and a half point million. Was it one point five million, Joe? <laughs> uh, a little bit more than that. Yeah, <laughs> Joe did have a one-time 100,000 comic books. He kind of blew wow. me away when he told me that. Well, Joe, guy, come on the show, Joe. Yeah, I, I've, I've <laughs> sold a lot of them over the years. Yeah, it's... What is I, I'm, I'm far down from what I've had, but yeah, there's there's been a lot. All right, Joe, here's a question. What is the most expensive thing you've ever bought in your collection? I'm... And do you do we have to keep it private? We don't want the wife to beat you up afterwards. So. <laughs> it's definitely a comic book, but we'll keep it. We'll we'll leave it at that. How about that? <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Okay, I got you. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So, so what's up? No. Uh, when I I noticed that a lot of people get their their expensive books. I guess they call them slabbed when they send them away for grading and they come back sealed in plastic and never to be taken out again. Right. Is that, are those stored in an, are those airtight? Are those completely ready to be stored for infinity kind of? Yeah. Supposedly that's what they, that's what they claim. I guess I'm not too big on the, um, the slab books. I do have a few, but, um, you know, I, I kind of go back and forth and it's a, it's a, it's kind of a heated topic in the, the comic book world because you know if say you have a a book that that's near mint and it it books and sells at a hundred dollars and you you grade it that say like a 9.0 will you send it to someone like cgc and if they grade it at a 9.0 or high or something that book could go up to a thousand dollars and then you can't really read the book you can't Mm. open it without you know opening the slab and then it kind of negates it so there's there's kind of like a big back and forth in in the comic book world about it whether it's good or not i'm 
I'm not really too much of a fan of it because I think it, it drives up the prices too much. And somebody like myself can't afford some of these books that would, you know, say otherwise be a hundred dollars that are now selling for a thousand or $2,000. How much is really, how much does slabbing cost for as a process? How much it it goes by how much the book is going to be, how much you, you think the book will be worth. So really it'll grade at like a 7.0. That's how much it'll cost. And that's, there's, uh, I believe there's a, a straight fee, and then there's kind of like an insurance fee that fee that you pay on how much you think it's gonna gonna cost. Oh. And I, I've seen a lot of the the way that they handle books and everything. And there's, I I, I don't I wouldn't send any of my books to get graded. We'll put it that way. Um, I've seen some of the ways that they handle them at comic shows. There's videos out there you could find of the way some of these guys handle them. Um, I've seen a lot of books that would come in at say like a 6.0 people don't like it and they'll send it in and it'll come back at a 7.0, <laughs> or, you know, and then there's been a lot of word that say if, if I, you know, just as Joe send out five books a year, to get slabbed and you Jason you own a comic book store and you send out 200 a year mm-hmm. you're more likely to get your books higher graded than mine even though the books may be exactly the same because they want your business more because you're right. sending in more books so if you keep getting higher graded books they know that you're going to keep giving them business it's like an art fraud uh, scheme from the 1960s yeah. or something Jeez. so there's a lot of that going out there so that's why it's kind of you know people go back and forth with it i'm not a big fan of it i know some people are but you know i i think comic books they should be able to be open and read and look through and all that and um you know, you know they should be enjoyed not mm-hmm, not kind mm-hmm. of just put in a slab yeah. and then thrown in a box not Joe, an investment. Joe, is that something you could say the same thing like maybe for posters? Because there's this thing that if you put light linen back and behind a poster, it saves them. But I thought it would destroy us the original thing. And they're like, no, it'll make it more expensive. I'm I'm kind of I kind of feel the same way as what you said. I'm like, does it really? I mean, is it really worth spending four hundred dollars to linen back a a French poster? And then, you know, what's your opinion on that? What's your take, Joe? You know, it, it's, this, it's the same. If, if you want something that's just collectible, that you're looking for an investment, then, yeah, that, that's good. But if you're an actual comic book collector and you enjoy the books and you enjoy the characters and the history and all that, you know, maybe slabbing's not for you you know, just go with the, the regular books. But if you're someone just looking, you know, to invest in something and it is, they are good investments because they, they do hold. If you get a book that slabs at say 500, um, you're not going to lose that investment. That book's not going down. It's only going to either stay the same or, or go up. So they are very good investments for people out there. You know, like some people like to invest in silver, gold, but that kind of fluctuates and all that that's not really the case with comic books. They're either going to stay the same or they're going to keep going up. Uh, You're not going to lose any of your money on that. And that's just on slab books. You know, there are some books on slab that they can fluctuate, but once you have that grade locked into it, then, you know, it's not really going anywhere. Also, what you're saying is, is that even though the comic book itself could like in my situation, I paid for the death of Robin. I think it was $152 for the second or the third part of it. Um, the thing went down to $1.50 a couple of years later. Uh, I lost all my money in that comic. Are you saying if it was slabbed, that wouldn't happen? Say that again now. Um, okay. Say, for example, I bought the... Uh, did you hear me before or, or is my voice sounding... No, I'm just trying to get what you're saying. What okay. Let's like, say, for example, I, I went and I bought the... Uh, Death of Robin. Okay. I think it was number three. And I paid $152 for it in, I think, 1989, 19, whatever, when it first came out. If that was slapped, would it maintain the value? Because it dropped down to like $1.59 a couple of years later. So that's what I'm asking. If it would have been slapped, 
would have maintained the price? It, it probably it probably would have. I mean, but slabbing wasn't around back then. If you were to get it slabbed now, it it probably would maintain that price. Um, but then again, you know, you're still dealing with the market. You know, you're only your book's only worth what somebody's going to pay for it. But from what I've seen on slab books is that they maintain their value. They don't lose, you know, really anything at all. Um, so it, know that. It, it's all it's all like a game. I mean, like anything, it's a gamble. The market's gonna gonna fluctuate. Uh, you're gonna gamble on it. You know, is is Robin popular at the time? You know, you might be able to get that. Mm -hmm. If he's not as popular, you know, maybe you might lose a, a little bit on it, but. Just wait for the next Batman movie coming out. Yeah, chances are you're not gonna you're not gonna lose your investment on that. Yeah. Now there are people that do sell them for cheaper and decide to take the loss on it, but you know that that's on them. That's their own you know personal reason for doing that. But yeah, usually you're not gonna take a loss on on any of that. That's slabbed. Are the three? I think there's only how many super number one Supermans are out there that you know of? Is there like a number that you might know? Joe, which, which Superman number one? The number you mean, one, yeah, Action Comics, Action Comic number one. How many of them are out there? I don't think there's that many of them. I know that even some of those have gotten graded over the years and have sold for millions. I believe well, uh, who's that actor? Um, Nicholas Cage. I believe he owns. Oh two yeah, graded ones. Does he really? Wow. Yeah, I, believe I, think, so. I think there's a new it, podcast out about the theft of one of those from Nicholas Cage. Oh really? Really. Yeah. He lost oh. one. Well, that, I think that's the whole podcast. They they go into the the details on the theft. Oh, oh wow, Joe, where were you in the night of uh, the evening of last month? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I was getting me an action comics. <laughs> yeah, it's called stealing stealing <laughs> Superman. Stealing, you know something? There was a company that did show that paid three point five million for an action comic that is uh, in that plastic graded thing. I think it's a if I'm correct, I think it's a comic book store that paid that. Um, and they were holding it. They were saying the, the most they ever paid for a comic. But the thing that I like about Action Comic number one is that that's the first time ever that they uh, actually put for the first time ever in, um, in any type of comic or anything, they put an ad, a mail order ad, and that was the famous Johnson Smith Company. So I'm kind of like, you know, really impressed and uh, with that comic about that. I do have a couple, several reproductions of it. I wish it was number one. I, I tried to slap them to get a million out of them, and I couldn't. Yeah, I've read the. Um, I have. I used to have. I sold it years ago, but it was like a um, compend or yeah, I guess. Well, it was a collected series of Superman. Um, I think it was like it was Action Comics and Superman, and it was in like a, a ten volume set. But it was all. It started from you know number one all the way to where i ended it I, I didn't buy any more but they were a good store i enjoyed the stories i really liked the artwork from back then so i always thought it was really cool all that that um golden age, i always like golden age artwork mm -hmm. but the story sometimes could be really <laughs> you know <laughs> tough to read yeah <laughs> yeah they were writing for the market you know yeah, you, yeah pretty much yeah, kids, yeah very little kids at that time yeah exactly you, you know it's funny I, I i'm surprised you say you like the artwork i didn't really kind of like the artwork of the first action comic i think it just kind of left a lot of superman but then again it was the beginning of superman you know well see uh -huh. I, people when they they look at the artwork they kind of you know, and, and, I, and I really love i love golden age artwork i love silver age artwork and i love um artwork from the not from the 80s and 90s but i i can't really pick like man this is this one's better than the other because you really have to look at that period of artwork in the time that it was made and that artwork works for that time you couldn't put 90s artwork in the 30s and 40s you know mm. it just it it wouldn't work with the the way society was at that time and you couldn't put golden age artwork in today's society it just it wouldn't work although today's artwork in comic books is just in 90 percent of comic books is just complete garbage <laughs> i would agree you know, I, I i look at the stuff today and it's just it's like um 
watching a noisy TV show. It's just all over the place. Yeah. Well, they don't they don't hire professionals anymore. They just hire, you know, whoever wants to come in and all oh, you check the right boxes for our political and social, you know, uh, um, you know, understanding. And then they put them in and everything, you know, the writing's garbage, the artwork's garbage, and then they're losing money and then they blame the customer. Well, no, you're yeah. not giving us, you know, anything back in the 90s, you know, and people look at some of that artwork and it's either you really like it or you really hate it, but it was, it was unique artwork and the stories were great. You had, you know, they were comic book stories and the same thing when you look at artwork from the thirties and forties and the writing compared to today's standards, they weren't the best and all that, but if you read it and you look at it in the time frame of the thirties and forties and you understand that, that, that was really good artwork and it was really ahead of it, you know, ahead of its time then so mm -hmm. you you know joe you just hit the nail on the head when you said i am surprised that i didn't kind of dawn on me what you just said right now joe all this time but i was asking myself am i is it just me or what but when you do get a comic book today and it's got all the glossy pages inside compared to the one in the 80s that were like newsprint it's it's true what jason said it's all over the place sometimes the characters themselves don't like when you're trying to read, you can't even read the words because somehow they blend in with the background. Mm -hmm. It's like really hard to, and then they put so little into the writing. Again, um, that comes from them not hiring professional writers or professional artists that are that specialize in comic books. They're hiring, you know, whoever's on social media that says, "Well, if you don't hire me, you're racist or misogynist or homophobic, whatever." So these companies are caving to them. And they're bringing them in because they want to check the boxes. And then the product ends up being garbage because not because the person's not talented. They may have talent, but they don't have that professional level talent to work at Marvel or DC. You know, a lot of these people, they want to go to the pros without having to go through the minor leagues yep. first and pay mm -hmm. their dues. They just want to hurry up and, and get up there where they've never honed their craft yet. Right. Well, you know something? I'll tell you a good example. I was approached by a, I'm not going to use names or anything like that because the person's actually still helping us and stuff, but it it's a point. He's a super professional. Now, this is a person that is kind of in charge of a television thing. Okay. So this is a very professional thing. And he sees me one day and he sees me putting together a dancing skeleton. I think it was right. And he's like, wow, I can do so much better than that. So he goes, uh, to his studio he comes back and he makes me a professional looking uh, thing and I'm like there's only a problem when people are dealing with mail order novelties and magic books from the 70s they're used to getting a magic book that has two cardstock covers stapled with a stapler in three places and I'm not talking about like a folded one I'm talking about a regular eight and a half sheet by 11 that staple that, that you would say, man, it would be better if they folded and made it a booklet. It's not. <laughs> yep. The booklet is just simply stapled and sold that way. So when you go into an old magic shop, when you go into old comic books, when you buy Halloween items uh, from the 50s and 60s, they all had that cheaply done way. I say, when you make it super fashion like you did, people will not buy that. And then he realized and goes, oh, so then he goes back. He makes me one that left me salivating. I'm like, wow, this is nice, you know. But that gets to say, you know, how, how it works out there with a lot of people and, and the different ages. I know art, you know, like you said, depending on the age. I believe, in my opinion, that the 70s and 80s are true. It's, it, when they wrote Superman comics and stuff, they were so well detailed. The art was phenomenal. Um, I have quite a few of the Superman. One of my favorite was Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man, an oversized comic uh, that's really phenomenal. And, and although it's kind of funny though, because they did have Superman versus Wonder Woman. Um, uh, you know, oh, you missed it. <laughs> no, no, it's uh, I was seeing the uh, thing. How's my microphone sounding now? Now you sound good. I think you keep moving from it because it sounds you go in and out real low. Okay, that's. I think you're you're underwater or something. Maybe you're visiting. <laughs> maybe you're visiting Todd and uh, well, you're trying to still podcast something there from. I'm covering the water. 
I have a treasure here, Joe. I'm just trying to pull it up so that people <laughs> won't hear me. I mean, come on, man. No, so that's what I'm saying, that in reality, Joe, I, I mean, I don't know. It's just the way it, it is. Now, Joe, do you, you you're familiar with comics very good. You remember those stickers they used to sell in comics that one of them has Superman breaking a chain in his chest? Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, I had a set of those stickers and I can't find them, man. I'm about to cry. They're about... I, <coughs> Excuse I, me. I actually have... Um, I'm looking at it right now of that Superman breaking the, the chain on his chest. It is a... Uh, I'm going to grab it so I could see it. It's from a... They did a card set back in... Oh, gosh. Let me see if there's a... Um, something on here. I think it was the 40s. It might have been 1940. But... um. I actually have a um a card that says candy and surprise and I believe it this card I'd found it on eBay. I thought it was really cool and it was fairly um fairly priced for what it was, but like on the back of it, it says valuable Superman premium coupon. Save these coupons for the, the following valuable premiums. So um I don't know if you got these um I'm trying to look because it has something for ingredients. So I don't know if these came in cards or if this was part of um, some type of uh, treat. But you can um, get a Superman certificate, secret code, and membership button for 10 coupons and 10 cents. Uh, you could get a Superman ring for 10 coupons and 10 cents. Uh, Superman emblem for 10 coupons and 10 cents. Or a Superman... Uh, American pin for 10 coupons and 10 cents. Um, yeah, so it looks like um, it says tear off coupon at uh, preparation. So I'm wondering if these coupons, I haven't found much info on it. So I'm wondering if these coupons came on um, a package or something. Maybe, um, I don't know if it was uh, of candy or if it was cookies or cereal or what, but it's, it's really cool, but it's that same image you're talking about of, of him breaking the chains. What? And I believe it's 1940 that this is that, card is, is that in red and blue. Yeah. The background's red. And then, um, yeah. the Superman and thing is in blue. It's kind yeah. of half tone well, blue. Well, yeah. uh, Joe, the one you're Are you familiar about? with it. Well, I'm looking uh, at a picture of it online right now here. See, I, I've never, I, I don't know, Joe, why don't you post it in the forum and see, uh, I don't know if I, right now, because you're describing, and obviously I'm not looking at it, so I don't quite remember, but the one I'm talking about was sold in the 1980s, I mean 70s, so it kind of looked a little different from the Superman from the 40s, though. <clears throat> I'm looking at it, Um, I'm, I just typed in a picture of it, and it looks like it might have been on um, maybe like a pack of candy cigarettes, kind of. It oh, says, packed and distributed by Leader Novelty Candy Company. Are you familiar with them, Eddie? I, I've, you know what? I've heard of Leader Novelties. I haven't. That, that's a good question, Joe. I need to see a picture of it right now. Um, you know, Joe, I, I was born in the 60s, you know, not the 40s. <laughs> I know well, you, you are the, the novelty, the king of novelties. Yeah, but, I mean, you're really trying to push <laughs> me back there, Joe. Yeah, I'm I'll trying to you. find some. I tell you what, Eddie, if you just type in uh, Google search under images Superman candy and surprise, and you'll see the uh, the pictures come up. It's a uh, it's a red picture with the, the Superman on it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it looks like it might be from some type of, of uh, I, I don't know, some type maybe of maybe a wrapper or, or cards, maybe playing cards, not playing cards, but you know, like uh, baseball cards that came in the packet. It looks like it was like a, a candy cigarette type packet and have had cards in it as well. Or maybe the back of it was a card that you could rip off. Interesting. Now, the one I was telling you in the 70s actually was a sticker set. And I think it was like a, they would sell it for like, a, if I'm correct, $1.98. Or, and you would get 10. You would get Batman. You would get Wonder Woman. But they, they showed like the main sticker was about, I don't know, about four to six inches tall. And it was a thing that would cling like to your window and stuff like that. And it, it has Superman breaking the chains. Now, I had that set. I actually got it on eBay for like 80 something dollars uh, back sometime in the beginning of eBay. 
Um, I don't know what the heck it is. And, and now come to think of it, it was definitely after the fire. So that means I must have it somewhere uh, because eBay did not exist in 1995 uh, when I had the fire. So I'm, I'm beginning to wonder now. I'm, I'm kind of glad I brought it up because I said to myself, maybe it, it, you know, it got burnt, but apparently it might have survived the storm, man. Might so, be like the Titanic, you know? So what I'm looking at, um, what I've been able to find is that these, um, there was these boxes that came in, in a larger box, and they came in 80 uh, one-cent boxes of candy and cards. So apparently they had little boxes of candy and cards in a much larger box. There's 80 of them that you could, you know, um, open up and put on a, a store shelf, and you could buy a little box and had candy and cards in it. And if you took off the um, the front of it, you could mail it in, you know, for 10 cents plus 10 of them and get a different prize. Wow. That's what it looks like it was. And I've never seen a, a complete box or anything. And I'm looking at Hakes, and it looks like um, – Oh, where did that go? Well, what? look at it, Joe. When you mentioned it a little while ago, you said you couldn't find any information on it. Now, in this show, you just basically found all the information on it. Well, one one on Hakes sold for uh, $4,197, which was a what? Um, which was the box. I don't know if it was full or not. I think it was just, just an empty box. Uh, let's see, cardboard box. Yeah, just an just the empty box. Oh, that Joe. held the, that held the smaller boxes. I would have given them ten thousand for it. Are you kidding? Four thousand one hundred ninety-seven bucks. Wow. That sold in twenty fifteen. Well, hey, look at this. I had I had uh, when the fire happened. I had my Planet of the Apes treehouse in the original box in perfect condition. And you know what? You know what I did? I took the box and I'm like, man, it smells like fire. Let me rip it up. I'll just take out the, the treehouse and I'll put it into another box. And I really don't need the main box for it. Boy, what a mistake that was. <laughs> mm. yeah, All but- right. So I just found some more information on it, which is pretty cool. So they did come out in 1940, put out by the Leader Novelty Candy Company. Are you, do you Leader know Novelty, anything about them? I heard of them. You know how I, I actually heard of them. Because I found there's, uh, you guys remember this guy that does uh, Mr. Toast? Dan yeah. Goodsell? Okay, Dan Goodsell was actually in one of our early shows. And I believe he, see, Dan would only collect paper uh, memorabilia and paper, uh, what do they call that? Infirmium? How do you pronounce that word, Joe? What it's is it? Infirmium, something. It's E-P-H something. When they have paper stuff. paper. Oh, yeah, like infirmilia or something okay, yeah, like right, that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the word. And he collects only that. And he had a binder. And in the binder, he was showing me that he was able to obtain. He found out who was the company that actually made the Polaris sub. And I was able to find out through him that they were located in Long Island. And it was actually a company that did, uh, you know, displays for uh, trade shows and stuff like that. They've been out of business, whatever. But he had one of those photographs in there, you know. And that's how I found out about that company that you're just talking about, because they had something. So I think that company might have had this company do some flyers for them or, or boxes, you know. Well, I'm going to read a little bit of this about it because it's it's really cool uh, history on uh, Superman and this leader novelty company. And I'll, I'll just read a little bit of it from what I found. So it says... Um, Created by writer Jerry Siegel and artist Joe Schuster, Superman debuted on newsstands in April 1938. In October 1939, Harry Donfeld and Jack Leibowitz established Superman Inc. to market the property outside of comic books and newspaper strips. Within a year, there were over 21 authorized Superman licenses, a radio show, and a cartoon deal. So in the spring of 1940... The Leader Novelty Candy Company, Inc. released a 36-card set affixed to the backs of Superman candy and surprise toy boxes. The red panels are the first Superman cards to be released preceding the Superman gum set from the Bowens Gum, Inc. The American card catalog reference is R146. 
Each one cent box detaches into a picture card and a valuable Superman premium coupon, which is the, the one that I have. Uh, the perforated panels are approximately 2.375 by 3 inches smaller than a standard trading card. Counter display boxes contain 80 boxes. The box art uses the telescoping logo uh, from the cover of Superman number one by Leo O'Melia and Joe Schuster. Uh, the Superman logo was later refined by Ira Schnapp around June of 1940. Um, the iconic image of Superman breaking the change is similar to the final story panel of Action Comics uh, number one. So in this set, there are 36 cards total. And it says about the uh, the leader novelty company, um, they had legal troubles. In 1924, the Boy Scouts of America listed leaders, scout leader candy for uh, unauthorized use by the Boy Scout title. In 1936, the Federal Trade Commission brought charges against leader novelty for unfair methods of competition and commerce. The court decision states that the company misrepresented itself as a candy manufacturer in order to deceive dealers. A leader controlled business stationery, billheads, invoices, catalogs, labels, and other trade literature. Uh, from 1940s to the 60s, the Connecticut Agricultural Experiment Station conducted multiple studies that found products from leader were misbranded. In 1944, federal injunction proceedings were brought against Leader, uh, Novel Package Corporation, and 10 other Brooklyn candy concerns. Complaints included gouging the consumer, lowering the quality of candy, failing to keep proper financial records, and unsanitary manufacturing conditions. The Office of Public Affairs reported that candy molds from established firms were altered and rebranded as a more expensive product. Some candy products were being manufactured alongside straw brooms in an open loft. Well, that ain't good. <laughs> wow. OPA investigators witnessed uh, perspiring workers stirring candy mixture by hand. Mm, if that doesn't get your uh, taste buds going. So on November 15th, 1971, Leader was charged by the Eastern District of Michigan for shipping candies that contain dirt, human hair, and rodent filth. All right, we're getting all of our nutrients in one. So in 1974, company officials were fined $500 by the U.S. District Court of Brooklyn for manufacturing candy under insanitary conditions and shipping uh, adulterated candy in interstate commerce. The Boy Scouts were again involved after receiving a contaminated batch of candy. Uh, after almost 80 years of operation, Leader and Castings were purchased by Sherwood Brands and dissolved on June 25th, 2003. So not too long ago. But uh, if you guys find any candy out there, from, <laughs> try not um, to eat it. You know, yeah, don't eat it. <laughs> Joe, it's funny that you're saying that because now you're, you're making me wonder if that company might have had some. You remember, I mean, if you're looking back at a comic book, uh, You'll see that they used to always have these things that like a sales club. There was one called Leaders Sales Club. I don't think it has really yeah. anything to do, but I'm just kind of wondering when you said that. And that's where I, I was saying the name sounds familiar. And that's where I was, I think, thinking about. But you know something? Uh, Jason and me had a talk yesterday. And he goes, Eddie, you live in a place where all the action happened. Most of the mail order stuff happened between where I live and Brooklyn, which is about five miles away. The funny thing is, yeah, that most of the mail order companies that started in comics, even in, in, in with Sears, Roebuck, and all that, actually started around the New York City area, you know? Mm. It's, fun. yeah. it's, it's funny. I see a lot of the, the mail order martial arts stuff ships from Madison Avenue. And I was thinking, like, come on, that's going to be expensive real estate. What's this little... <laughs> well, no, because there was a post office, I think, and they most of them used the post office there and they rented P.O. boxes. Ah, okay. They, you know, that's why I would say Madison Square Station, you know. Uh, but the thing I'm going to tell you, honestly, is that when you look at, and, and Joe, what you're talking about with the candy and stuff, one time I went to, I'll never forget this, when I started my magic shop in 89, I, I said, let me go to I don't want to mention the name of the company because they're still in business today, but I went to Brooklyn to this company that um, that sold me novelties. and They were located in this building right underneath the Brooklyn Bridge. 
and Joe and, and, and Jason, both you guys, man, when I, w- I didn't want to use the elevator because it was like a 1900 elevator that you saw the chains going up and down. I'm saying this elevator is not even going to take me to the top, man. Hand crank. But let me tell you something. Not about hand crank. When I went up the stairs, there were no banisters, man. <laughs> when you went up 10 floors, you could actually fall off the edge of the stairs. Wow. It was the scariest thing in the world. And I'm like, I can't even believe I came here, man. <laughs> and I went there and then all the double teams were tossed all over the place. And I was like, wow, it was like kind of like a fun place to go to in this place itself. But going to the place, I only went there like three or four times to get my stuff. I was very scared going up because I don't like heights. And those stairs scared the heck out of me because you would figure you would have banister. But (laughs) what I'm saying, they did have a banister, but it was like a black uh, pipe. Uh, what do you call those pipes? Something like water pipes. Totally retrofitted. That's how it was. Yeah. Very cheap. It was like you can fall underneath the damn thing. Ooh, just like I, a, I this, yeah. Reminds I, I me of the think... Star Trek movies with the Klingon. The Klingon ships never had banisters, and people were always falling off the. Uh, <laughs> oh, falling off the uh, the railing. Right. Yeah. Well, what did they say? There was a there was one cartoon. There was I can't remember what it was. They were doing a spoof of Star Wars, and they were on the um. They were where the. Uh, they were on the Death Star where the beam comes out and they're working the computer. And the one guy goes, he goes, you know, why haven't we gotten a rail here yet? Because there was like a small <laughs> little space and then they could fall over, you know, into like, you know, the Death Star. And he's like, why haven't we gotten a rail yet? And he goes, oh, management says that we'd be leaning too much. Keeps <laughs> <laughs> you on your toes. Yeah. yeah. You know, anything that you see, especially back in, in the day, even today, when you go into a lot of the warehouses in New York, you know, down in Brooklyn and stuff that made or manufactured most of that stuff, it's actually old rundown buildings. They're 100 years old, you know. Um, you go inside and sometimes it's like you you barely make it out alive from the building alone, you know. But that's where most of those companies were located. I mean, that's the fun part about it. Um, I remember going to Coney Island as a kid, and when I went to get into the the roller coaster that was called what is the lightning? Th- no, not lightning. Um, the the it's one of the oldest roller coasters in the world. Uh, I can't believe I I forgot now the name of the famous co- oh cyclone, the cyclone. I remember you looked at that and the rust you could see <laughs> on the rails made me wonder should I get on it or not, you know. And the funniest thing with that cyclone was is when we were going down the hills, the biggest, tallest hill was not that bad. But when you got to the very last one, which was half the size, you almost came off your seat. (laughs) I I know what what Jason, what you were mentioning and stuff. It's kind of weird, but yeah, it is there. So that's, you know, when when the basics. So uh, Joe, uh, one other question I want to ask you since you, you know, we were talking about the leader. They finally closed down. Who bought them out again? Oh, shoot. You know what? I clicked out of it. Let me see if I could uh, yeah, bring it back up. The company that bought it out, what do they do? So it looks like it was purchased by Sherwood Brands. Okay. What the Sherwood Brands makes right now? Because I've seen a lot of stuff from that company. But I, I, I right now don't remember exactly what products. Oh, I have no, I've never heard of Sherwood Brands. Oh, no. Before. I've heard of Sherwood Brands. I definitely have heard of them. I'm just thinking, what is it they make? It doesn't specify? No, that's all it says. It says, after almost 80 years of operation, Leader and Castings were purchased by Sherwood Brands and dissolved on June 25th, 2003. And when you look up the word Sherwood, it doesn't give you any reference to what they make? Uh, let's see what we could find on Sherwood Brands. Jason. Um, growing manufacturer of niche market candy and confections. Ah, uh, see, I knew I had seen them. In Maryland. I see. Now, I, I know I've, I've heard of that name, Sherwood Brands. I've seen them. Um, there's a possibility now that I come to think of it. If you go, you know how you guys go into those. So they're still in. They're still in uh, business. If this is the same Sherwood Brands, there's well, a website, SherwoodBrands.net. Okay, it's it's got to be. I think you know what. Coming to think about it, I went to. I met up Dave up in uh, Lake George, New York. Dave Har- Harvestside from Mrs. Adams. And we were up there. And one of the things I, I think right now that you mentioned that I went into the fort 
you know, the, the old the historical fort. And they had a museum shop there. And I think they sold little cannonballs and they were supposed to be candy. I think it said Sherwood Brands, if I'm correct now. That's why I think I've seen that. But it, it definitely sounds like that would be a company. But anyway, I guess uh, how many minutes we got left to go, Joe? Uh, what do we got here? Uh, we got about five minutes. So we'll start uh, wrapping it up here. And real quick, what I want to uh, just put out there for everyone, because I know it's it's getting the holiday seasons, you know, quickly approaching us Christmas time. So if you're looking for some new um, and kind of weird holiday movies that you haven't seen for a while, I got a few for you. So get your pen and paper ready and make sure you write these down here. The first one is going to be Silent Night, Deadly Night from 1984, which is one of my uh, my Christmas staples, one of my favorite ones to watch. Another one is Santa Claus versus the Devil from 1959. And we got Santa Claus Conquers the Martians from 1964. And we have Christmas Evil from 1980. So we got a little weird horror fantasy type ones in there. And they can get a little bit weird, especially uh, Santa Claus versus the Devil and Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. My favorite. What what's that one? Santa Claus conquers the Martians. Yep. Yeah, That's definitely a cool one. And and don't forget about some of our our classics: uh, Christmas Story from 1983 and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation 1989. And if you haven't seen it yet, jump on HBO Max, get your free trial, and watch a Christmas Story Christmas. It is absolutely fantastic. If you're a fan of the original Christmas Story movie. This one is a great follow-up to it. They do the movie justice. Uh, Peter Billingsley and all the other cast members are in there. Sadly, Melinda Dillon didn't reprise her role as the mother because she is um, in, I believe, her late 80s, and she's been retired since uh, 2007. But it's an absolutely fantastic movie, and it brings that kind of uh, joy of Christmas back. Uh, but more from like a, um, a grown-up parent's perspective, as the original one was from a child. Uh, Ralphie, this one's the perspective of a grown-up Ralphie, and it really hits the mark. So definitely uh, check that out. Do you guys get any other uh, movies that you enjoy watching during the holiday season real quick? Well, uh, what I was going to say with the Martian ones, uh, what I like about Santa Claus Conquers the Martian, isn't that the one that has the robot in it? Yes, it is. Yeah, that, that's why I love it. So anybody <laughs> out there that can find my robot plans, man. There you go. Take been- a drink. 40 years. Okay, you can take many drinks. It's Christmas, so that's the time. That you there can you go. What, what about you, Jason? What do you like watching? I don't know. We, all, we always watch It's a Wonderful Life. Um, oh, there you go. Another classic. Yes, that's it. it is a classic. I remember that. Oh, my gosh. I tell you what. I, I like watching all the old uh, Christmas uh, Carol movies, too, from like the 30s. Oh, yeah, yeah. And even the silent ones. I Those are always cool. and yeah. um, I, I just I love those just because they're in the black and white, they're real spooky. I don't like any of the newer ones that, that have been made. Aside from Scrooge, Scrooge with Bill yeah. Murray, I love that. <laughs> One of my favorites, man. <laughs> you know you know something now that you said? You know what my daughter told me, my youngest daughter? The other day I started there watching uh, The Night Before, Without a Santa Claus, the cartoon. You know, the, the clay cartoon with Mr. Oh, yeah. Rick. I love that claymation. Yeah, and, I, and my daughter said, that's so stupid. I'm like, what? <laughs> I said, my I said, my daughter, don't say that. That's almost like Chuck's wife calling the creature <laughs> from the, the goon from the Black Lagoon. That hurts feelings, man. <laughs> the amount of work the goon from the Black Lagoon. That. Yeah, that was so funny when Sherry goes, the goon from the Black Lagoon. I go, oh my God, Sherry. <laughs> yeah, so there's definitely some Christmas movies, guys. Don't forget to go to houseoftheunusual.com out there. Uh, we have a forum uh, thread for Christmas movies. Put some of your favorite movies on there. Tell us why you like them. And maybe there's some that you have watched that we have never even heard of. Uh, so get on there and put them on. Also check out uh, other threads on our forum site there. Head over to YouTube, House of the Unusual. Check us out. Subscribe to our channel. Like our videos. Eddie and Chuck are always putting out some great stuff on there, and you don't want to miss a single video, so make sure you stay up to date with that. Um, 
And, and that's pretty much all I got on my end. Eddie, what do you got to wrap us up here? We got about 30 seconds. Well, if anybody's hiding the robot plant on me, I would like to have him this Christmas. Hope uh, never Joe dies. Says, Joe would drive anywhere in the country to get him from me. Just let him know you have him. Okay? I will strap on my, my rocket and I will fly to your house. I will pick him up and hand deliver him to Eddie Guevara at the house of the unusual property. By, by a personal Sasquatch that he has yeah. with him. <laughs> all right, guys. That's all, all right, we got. Guys. Everybody out there in podcast land, thank you for joining us once again. We are here weekly. Find us on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe to our channel. Give us a five-star review if you like us. And that's it, guys. So good night. Good night, and God bless. Good night. Take care, guys. Talk to you later.